Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome in to the Thursday, October 3rd edition of the Jeff Andreas Show. And thank you for joining me here on a wet morning in Kamloops. It is, of course, going to rain today as it has already. And the temperature will get up to just 15 degrees. Not an unexpected gray October day here in the interior of B.C. But, of course, there's also that possibility of snow on the Coquihalla and on the connector as well. So make sure you got your snow tires on if you're heading out that way. Drive safe, stay safe, be careful. And, uh, you know, that's just going to be the way we have to live our lives moving forward as it is October and the weather is only going to get worse as we get closer to that real winter. Things will, though, be getting a little bit nicer here come the weekend. The temperature will be 16, 18, and 17, respectively, over the next three days. And the sun will be poking its head through a little bit over those Friday, Saturday, and Sunday days. So make sure you take the opportunity to enjoy that. Not sure how many more of those we're going to get. Now, uh, as I had mentioned, we are getting closer to winter. And, of course, that means hockey. Yes, of course, we are Canadian. I know I had a little bit of a discussion yesterday to kick off the uh, inaugural night of the 2019-2020 NHL season, but it was a big night in hockey last night, so I'm just going to do a a quick recap here. Um, First of all, let's talk locally. Big night at the Sandman Center last night. A five-goal second period propelled the Kamloops Blazers to a third consecutive win as they beat the Seattle Thunderbirds last night at Sandman Center. Kyrill Sopitic scored a pair while Brody Stewart, Connor Zary, Sean Strange, and Martin Lang all had one as the Blazers cruised to an 8-1 win. At the line, Lang's going to keep it alive. It's all Blazers here early. Sopitic on the puck to the forehead. He shot, Blazers now find themselves sitting at 3-3, so back at the 500 mark, and they will next play the Everett Silvertips at home on Saturday as they continue their longest home stretch here of the season. Of course, the pros were back at it last night as well. My Toronto Maple Leafs got things started on the right foot with a big 5-3 win over the lowly Ottawa Senators, but probably the bigger news out of that night, or at game specifically, was John Tavares being named the 25th captain in Leafs franchise history. It was amazing. Um, I think from uh, when I found out and how I found out to uh, the anticipation of just... uh, that ovation and uh, the support from uh, from the fan base and uh, to start tonight tonight off like that and then go out and play like we did it was uh, uh, it was special I'll never forget it. The Vancouver Canucks, who will name their captain prior to their home opener, which is next week, they came up just short, falling in overtime in Edmonton. Oilers captain Connor McDavid looked like the best player in the world, and teammate Leon Draisaitl knows just give the man the puck. Oh, yeah, just. Laid it in there for him. <laughs> he did the rest, but um, well, that's why he's so good. Um, you know, he, he makes makes something happen out of nothing. It's uh, it's pretty incredible. I wish I was like that. And it was a great night in St. Louis as the Blues raised their Stanley Cup banner. Captain Alex Petrangelo uh, just tried to soak in that moment prior to the puck dropping on a new season. It's a great moment. I think. Uh, you know, we'll have a couple of days to kind of reflect on it, but it was it was good. It was uh, it's obviously tough when you're trying to flip that switch to get ready for the game, but uh, obviously a pretty special moment. The Blues did um, end up losing that game last night, though, as the 2018 champions, the Washington Capitals, got their season started 
with a W. And last night's other game saw Vegas top San Jose. So that pretty much recaps what was the first night in hockey in the NHL. Big first night, and now, of course, the games will really start to roll on, um, you know, now that the season is basically getting into full swing. Now, for those who haven't tuned in to hear about hockey, don't worry. I do have a good show lined up for today. In about 10 minutes' time, I'll be talking about the importance of positive body imaging with a doctor from the BC Children's Hospital. As likely the majority of Canadian teens spend much of their time on some form of social media, Facebook and Instagram have made some changes to help protect them. Both made the switch last month to block or remove content that promotes weight loss or cosmetic procedures to users under 18 years old. Why is that such an important move? Well, stay tuned for that discussion here in a little bit. To kick off the back half of today's show, I'll be talking about debt. Yes, a poll of more than 2,000 Canadians show that there was an increase of 4% of people in this country who are carrying the burden of credit card debt. The number is up to 57%, and 31% of those debt is increasing due to income constraints. Living paycheck to paycheck. So many people do it, and it's a tough thing to do. I'm a single man, and yes, I know, it's tough as well. I've done it. And it doesn't even feel like there's anything wrong with it, because it's just so standard. I couldn't imagine being in that situation, though, where you know you have people that depend on you to bring home the bacon. You know, living paycheck to paycheck has become so normalized in our society, and it's a little bit scary. What would happen if you lost your job tomorrow? What would you do? You probably don't even think about it. I don't. Not really. But how quickly would I be in serious financial trouble if I lost my income tomorrow? Have you done the math of how long you could go without a job, without another paycheck? These are the things that uh, we should all probably think about, not just to make yourself paranoid or worried, but to have an idea of what your financial situation is and what it could look like if something were to go awry. As Mick Jagger once said, you can't always get what you want. And when you're living life literally day to day, that statement holds true far more often than perhaps many of us would like to think. Can I get this bag of chips? Do I need those $4 Doritos? Probably not. Hopefully you don't have to make that choice, but some people do. And you know what? It's unfortunate. But that's just the way things are in this world we live in in 2019. And like I had mentioned, BDO has done this study here to talk about how Canadians, more and more and more of them, are finding themselves in these sorts of situations where they have to make those tough decisions. Obviously not, uh, not a fun discussion, but an important discussion because uh, it does affect everybody's lives. And of course, the more people that are in debt, uh, the more that uh, the rest of the general population has to kind of help carry that. So uh, obviously something we need to be aware of, something we need to pay attention to. And I will be speaking with a BDO spokesperson to start the back half of the show to talk about all of that and what people can do to help protect themselves. So that's an important conversation. So definitely stay tuned for that. Uh, hopefully you're not finding yourselves in one of those types of situations where you are living paycheck to paycheck to paycheck. But uh, if you are, hopefully we can help provide some good advice and some good information to help you sort of get out of that situation or at least help promote the idea of thinking about what you can do to get out of that situation. I think that's a, it's an important thought to at least have. Even if you, you don't feel it's realistic, you should at least be thinking about it and think about what you could do uh, to, to you know, improve your life's finances. To end off today's show, I'll be joined by BC Hydro. They have recently completed a study to look at people's fueling habits. No, not gasoline. I don't know why I would talk to BC Hydro about gasoline, so obviously I'm not talking to them about that, but fueling electric vehicles. 
There is a concern out there amongst the general population when it comes to being able to get from point A to point B in an electric car. How far can you go? What if you need to charge halfway through the trip? Where are the charging stations? Are there enough of them? Can you pull a Kramer and push it as far past empty as possible? It looks like we're going to need some gas. Oh, well, how much gas do you think is in there right now? Well, it's on E. You know, look, oftentimes, Jerry, he lends me his car, and I find myself in a situation where the car is almost out of gas. But for a variety of reasons, I don't want to be the one responsible for purchasing costly gasoline. So you want to know how far you can drive your friend's car for free? Well, I make it up to him in other ways. Now, of course, if you run out of gas, you can just grab a jerry can, start marching down the road looking for a gas station. I have no idea how you can go about doing that when it comes to an electric vehicle. How do you go about collecting electricity and doing the same task? Maybe there are charging packs that you can pull out of your trunk and walk to find a charging station to grab some juice. But uh, I'll be honest, that doesn't sound very practical, especially if you don't know where these charging stations are. There's a lot of gas stations along the side of the highway. Uh, I'm sure there are a lot of charging stations as well, but they're just not necessarily as prevalent. And um, that's a concern that I would have. Is that a concern that you would have? Well, apparently, most people do the vast majority of charging at home. And it doesn't cost as much as some might expect. Not surprising, it is much cheaper than gas, but still overall cheaper than many people even think. So I'll be talking more about that with BC Hydro to end off today's show. Like I said, I think I got a pretty good one lined up here today, so stay tuned for all of this. It's going to be entertaining. But like I had mentioned, my first guest on today's show will be from the BC Children's Hospital, as Facebook and Instagram have put in place a policy that will block or remove content that promotes weight loss or cosmetic procedures to users under 18 years old. So, coming up after the break, I'll be joined by Dr. Julia Wong. So stay tuned for that. Local News Now, Radio NL, 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Listening to Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Good morning and welcome back into the Thursday, October 3rd edition of the Jeff Andreas Show here on Radio NL. Thanks so much for listening. 70% of teenagers between 13 and 17 in the U.S. are using social media multiple times per day, and I would assume that number is correlating here in Canada as well. That's according to a census by uh, Common Sense Media. And uh, the images and messages that they receive in their fa feeds may not always be of the healthiest varieties. To protect young users, Instagram and Facebook are taking a stance. The platforms recently put in place a policy that will block and in some instances remove content that promotes weight loss or cosmetic procedures to users under the age of 18. If the content does get through, though, people using the platforms can report material they believe violates that new policy. Here to talk about why this is an important step for these platforms to take is Dr. Julia Wong with the BC Children's Hospital. Dr. Wong, thank you so much for joining me today. Good morning. So maybe just talk about the issue when it comes to, to body image for people who are, you know, ages, uh, you'll say 13 to, eight, to 17, so, so young teenagers. I mean, how concerning is it for them to see some of these images and just sort of how influential can it be uh, for these young minds to see some of these negative, uh, negative stereotypes placed upon them? Well, I think that I'd like to acknowledge that these images are in places other than Instagram. Um, so it's not a question of 
having any exposure. But I think with Instagram's new policy, it really helps these sort of inadvertent and intrusive images that affect children's psyche and um, their their tendency to compare themselves to others. And it really will provide a little more of a safe environment for that. It doesn't mean that we have to not keep talking about it with, with kids and their approach to body image and health, but it, it's certainly one step in the right direction of creating safer places for them where they're not going to have these intrusive images invade. For sure. Obviously, I mean, there's still TV and, uh, you know, movies and magazines and billboards and all these sorts of other ways that they're going to be targeted. But at least that is one less way that they can see these sorts of things. Um, I guess, you know, as, as a doctor at the BC Children's Hospital, I guess, what, what do you see in terms of, uh, you know, numbers? I don't need to get into specifics here, but just how, how prevalent is the issue of, I guess, uh, not necessarily body shaming, but people who may be ashamed of themselves, uh, you know, at a young age? Is that something that you see really, really frequently? Yeah, I think that it's rare not to have teenagers especially, regardless of their body shape or size or their diagnosis, not have some component of dissatisfaction with their own body. And I think if adults and parents think about it, most of the time that's prevalent for parents, adults as well. And so we really are discussing what are we modeling for kids in terms of positive body image for ourselves, but also trying to normalize it for them and help them find other sources of self-esteem relying pure, other than relying purely on external factors. So following that up, I guess, what, what would be your message to, to parents in this situation and, and adults that are spending a lot of time with, with younger teenagers? I mean, should they be promoting the idea of, of positivity when it comes to body image? And how do you go about doing that if maybe you don't necessarily feel uh, 100% awesome about yourself? I mean, is there is there a certain message that you can give to, to people, to, to adults who find themselves in these sorts of situations where maybe they aren't totally satisfied with how they look, but that doesn't mean that they should necessarily be projecting that negative energy onto uh, the young ones that they're around? Yeah, like I think that I was just talking to a family yesterday about how we communicate verbally, but also through our behavior. And other psychiatrists yesterday were actually also in rounds. We were talking about how parents' behavior sends a stronger message than what they say. So it really starts with if we can become more aware of our own challenges and we're working on that, we can model so well how to manage when you have, are, are not feeling great about yourself but you value other things, what you do to build up the other, the other examples. Um, I, I used to joke that it was a bit like, you know, I, lived in, I live in an older house. It's messy a lot of the time. I have kids. I go over to a friend's house, and it's absolutely gorgeous. And then I have a bit of house envy for a while, and I kind of feel bad. My life is so busy and full that as long as I'm not focusing and looking at magazines of beautiful houses and going over to my friends' houses who are perfect, I actually forget and I get involved in life and I really enjoy it. And it's kind of similar with our, with our bodies. There's days we're going to really love our bodies and appreciate them and other days where it's going to be harder. And when we are able to choose what we focus on, 
it really can help our self-esteem, our mood. And it's not that you don't try and work on what you want to work on to stay healthy, but you realize that there's other things in life that are really important. And when children see their parents doing that and able to cope and work through their negative emotions, it, it really sends positive messages. And if parents are unable to talk it through with their kids, they're also then able to help them cognitively process how you get, how you cope with negative emotions and how you move forward. Here with uh, Dr. Julia Wong with BC Children's Hospital. So when we're talking about the idea of maybe having a bad day, when you're looking at, uh, you know, not feeling super awesome about yourself on a particular day, uh, you know, just having maybe some negative thoughts, I guess, what, what, do you have any advice for people or specifically teenagers who are maybe just having a, a tough day? As you had mentioned, you know, maybe thinking about something else to try to maybe get your mind off that specific issue that you're dealing with at that particular time. Um, you know, that's not always the easiest thing to do is just try to, you know, uh, stress, stray your mind onto something different. Um, do you have any advice for people to, to help get them through those kind of tough days that they might be having? Well, I think first I would completely acknowledge that we don't want to minimize how hard it is. Mind over matter is not what, what I'm getting at. And especially differentiate between having an eating disorder and anxiety disorder, like the actual mm -hmm. mental illness, which for sure is not the way to be treated. Um, however, I think that people and schools are looking at what strategies, what coping strategies can we help give to kids, skills that they build, just like exercise builds muscle, practicing certain skills and ways of thinking really builds that um, capacity in your mind. So it's not a question of, oh, here's a suggestion and you're going to be able to do it immediately, but beginning to look at mindfulness strategies, beginning to be able to selectively choose what your mind is focusing on can be built through things like the mindfulness meditation strategies. Um, there are other things you can do, such as become more aware of the triggers for you. And social media can often be a big one for that. So how do you feel after spending an hour, half an hour on Instagram? How do you feel about being on YouTube and looking at certain celebrities that it's all about body and image? And becoming a curator or being very selective about what you choose to put in your mind and in your environment if you know that you're susceptible to that. Well, Dr. Wong, unfortunately, we are out of time, but thank you so much for joining me here today. I really appreciate it, and uh, definitely some good messages there to, to relay to the public. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Awesome. That was Dr. Julia Wong with the BC Children's Hospital as uh, Facebook and Instagram are starting to block content that is, uh, you know, promoting dieting or... Uh, cosmetic surgeries or, or, or performances to kids under the age of 18. Probably a good move by those platforms. Coming up after the break, more than half of Canadians are living paycheck to paycheck as debt continues to overwhelm them. I'll be talking more about that after this. Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome back into today's show, and thanks for tuning in here on Thursday, October 3rd. More than half of Canadians are living paycheck to paycheck. In fact, that number is at 53%, according to a recent study from BDO. That is one of a number of concerning stats that has come out as a result of their study. Here to chat about it is Donna Mahalshin. Donna, thank you so much for joining me. 
Hi, thanks for having me. So uh, let me just start by first of all asking, uh, you know, I guess you just sort of a personal opinion. Were you surprised by the data that 53% of Canadians are living check to check? I mean, I, I got to be honest, when I heard that, I'm not surprised at all. Yeah, no, Jeff, I'm not surprised either. It's it's what we see every single day. Uh, and when you're talking on the street and talking to people, you can you can see the problems. So, and housing costs and, and what people are trying to live on. No, it's not surprising at all. Um, sad. Yeah, definitely sad. And uh, if you're one of those people, it's probably frustrating to constantly oh, look hard. at your bank account and not see as much as you want in there. Mm-hmm. No, it's very difficult. Um, I guess one of the big concerns about the fact that people are living check to check is that it becomes difficult, if not impossible, to pay off any debt. So, so what can you tell me about this BDO study that you guys have done and, and sort of what people's debt has continued to go up as, as a result of living check to check and how severe uh, you know, is, people's, is Canadians' debt at this time? Oh, lots of questions. Um, the study was quite alarming, and there was a lot of statistics that came out of it. I think that the, it was all quite overwhelming, but basically a quarter of the people are finding their debt load overwhelming. 27% more than a quarter say they can't afford their basic needs. And like a half of the people they studied, 49% can't cover, always cover their housing costs. More than a third can't cover heat, water, and other utilities, and more than one quarter find it difficult to put food on the table. I think those ones are really alarming to me, and I, I'm often dealing with that every day here at work. And uh, so it's very difficult when you're dealing in those situations because you know people are trying to feed their children. I mean that's a, that's a big thing. The uh, other things you're seeing is that there's a certain population that are finding it harder, for example, women, uh, the Gen Xers, and of course lower income Canadians, people that are defined as making less than 50000 a year. So, and not surprising, I think, on, on general, for whatever reason, you see women often make less, so we would see that. The Gen Xers haven't been in the workforce as long, so you might not necessarily see that higher income in those particular cases. Um, and, and lower income, you would that would make sense that they would struggle more, but it's it's alarming that you see that. And of course, they're, they're more vulnerable people. There's no doubt about that. You see, out of the survey, and I see it every day, and I think this, this part, they all bother me, but this significantly bothers me, is the number of people, boomers and seniors, that aren't prepared for retirement, and even more the number of boomers or seniors that have those same issues can't provide for housing, 36% are having trouble with heat, water, 26% with food and feeding themselves. And I, we see that a lot today in terms of the senior population. If you, if you think, I think a lot of people don't realize this, if, if all you're making is old age security and if you get maximum Canada pension, you only make about $1,600 a month. And to get maximum CPP, you have to have contributed for a long time at maximum rate. So it's very difficult to get those numbers. So once you get to that retirement age and you're not living on a, on a normal paycheck, it becomes even more difficult if you haven't prepared for retirement. So there's some pretty alarming statistics in there. Um, I think in terms of how BC is faring, in some respects we're doing better than the rest of the country, although it's not great. Um, nearly half of BC residents are living paycheck to paycheck, where it's more than that in Canada. 
So that's uh, that's alarming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and about one third of BC residents have non-mortgage debt of more than twenty thousand. So whereas that statistics higher in Canada, but of course BC is winning when it comes to terms of housing. So of course our housing costs are so high now. A lot of that would be generated from the Vancouver statistics because of sheer population, but those housing costs have translated over to the rest of British Columbia as well as as people have moved out and the and the housing costs have gotten greater here in Kamloops and and the Okanagan. So I think there's some alarming stuff. So. Hopefully that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, I think that answered my question and then some. Um, a lot, yeah. Lots of information in that response there, Donna. Um, just in terms of going back to sort of some of the earlier points that you had made when it comes to the fact that people are struggling to, you know, to put food on the table and, and pay for their housing and, and a lot of those other concerns that come with just you know, living your everyday life and the things that you have to pay for as a result. Uh, if you're unable to pay for those, and this sort of goes into some of the other stuff you had, you had mentioned uh, as well, um, you know, if, you, if you can't put food on the table, with your paycheck, I'm sure you're still putting food on the table, but you're probably finding some other way to do it, whether that be through a credit card or, or some other form of, of debt that you might be taking out as a result. And, you know, obviously people are seeing that debt continue to climb. Uh, you had mentioned some some stats when it comes to non-mortgage debt. Uh, obviously, when, you know, you're talking mortgage debt, that's less of a concern because hopefully you're paying that off. But non-mortgage debt, uh, you know, it just seems like it's continuing to climb. And from what I'm seeing in this report, you know, the number of people dealing with non-mortgage debt is, is increasing. But not only that, the number of people who have tens of thousands, 20,000 plus dollars of non-mortgage debt is going up as well. I mean, that, that seems like it's almost impossible for anyone to ever get themselves back on track when we're talking about those kinds of dollars. Yeah, it's very, very, very difficult. And that certainly this report shows that the number of non-mortgage debt is continuing to climb. People are either choosing to go without those basic needs, and as I said, I see that quite regularly, but others are covering it through increase in credit cards, payday loans, and it's very difficult in a payday loan situation once you go there to get out. I'm not saying it's impossible, but much more difficult because you're spending your paycheck before you get it. Um, they're going to much higher rate lenders, you know, 49%, 50%, 51% interest. And I don't know if you've ever looked at the back of your credit card statement, but if you start to read them, it says, you know, if you pay off this mm-hmm. debt at minimum payments, It'll take you 106 years to pay off the debt. So important that you do read the back of that statement and see how long it will actually take you to pay it off. Because once you get into that kind of situation, it is very difficult to get out of it. Mm-hmm. And so you have to really be focused and you got to really have a plan to do that. Um, here with Donna Mahalshin of BDO Canada. So I guess what advice would you have for people in that sort of situation? I know um, it talks about looking at potentially maybe an insolvency um, uh, specialist to sort of talk about how you could potentially get out of this. I guess what what is your advice to people who might be finding themselves in some overwhelming financial situations? What should they do to, to at least not only think about the problem so they're aware of what the situation might be, but then how do they start working to climb out of it? Yeah, great question. I think the first thing is is sort of look at it and say, do I have a problem? And sit down and add up your debts and be really be aware of how much you actually owe. Go over your household budget. What are you making per month and what are you actually spending per month? Look at what you actually do spend. You know, look at your credit card statements, look at your bank statements, etc. So you got to know what you're actually spending. And is there a way you can solve it there? There's a lot of resources online, people you can talk to, books you can read, that kind of stuff to get help. And, and if that won't work, and if you've tried everything, you're still certainly feel, feeling overwhelmed. I mean, don't hesitate to reach out like 
to people like us, licensed insolvency trustees. We'll do consults for free. We'll talk to people for free. And, and don't sit at home and worry about this stuff. Pick up the phone, call, and talk to somebody. Get some advice. And people will go through your solution. It might be budgeting. It might be just some kind of a consolidation loan. Maybe you do do some kind of proposal or bankruptcy. But those professionals will, like us, we can help. They'll take you through those steps and let you consider your options that you have available. So at least you're educated and becoming informed on what you can potentially do. Mm-hmm. Arm yourself with information. Um, and then just sort of to follow that up. So obviously, if you're in debt, you're not saving money. So going these steps obviously will help you get out of that debt so you can start at least living a little bit more freely and then not being as concerned about you know what what uh, what your debt looks like at at any moment in time but when you are living in such high levels of debt and you are living check to check obviously you're not putting money away and you had talked about this a little bit earlier as well when it comes to retirement people just don't have money to retire um, and we're seeing that age also climb when people are just unable to retire so they're staying in the workforce which is obviously having a trickle-down effect for many people when it comes to being able to find work at a younger age um, mm-hmm. So I guess what what is the concern when it comes to people being able to retire and leave the workforce? I mean, what what kind of uh, stats do you, do you guys find as a result of this study about people who are just unable to put any money away for retirement or, or even just a little bit that, that they know that's not going to be enough to get them through the years that they might be retired for? Another great question. Yeah, that study certainly showed, and it wasn't a surprise to me either, that, that people were just realizing they were going to have to work longer. They just didn't have enough money. I mean, one of the stats there, it's a, um, almost 70% of Canadians said even if they save, they still won't have enough money to last through the retirement years. Um, and that's gone up. It was 64% last year. So 64 to is almost 70% now. So that's concerning. You know, 81% were basically saying they're not going to have retirement savings. So so if you're already in debt, you got to get back to ground zero mm-hmm. just to start to get to the savings point. So I think my message out to everybody is let's get you back to ground zero so that at least you're starting at a breaking even point so you can start to work towards retirement. It's not too late. It never is. So, you know, start one step at a time and let's start moving forward to do that. So, you know, the sooner you start, the better the solution will be. Well, lots of good stuff there, Don. I really appreciate you taking the time to join me here today. There's a a lot of scary stats that are available in this report and just, you know, some stuff that people probably should look at just so they can think about their own financial situation. Because I'm sure a lot of people, uh, you know, are in debt, but maybe don't even realize it or don't realize how severe the situation is. So uh, definitely a good message to put out there for sure. Thanks. And I think the important thing is reach out. There is help. There's help. There's help. So it's alarming, but there's help. Awesome. Well, thanks for that message, Donna. I really appreciate your time and and have yourself a wonderful Thursday. Thank you. Awesome. That was Donna Mahalshin of BDO Canada. So yeah, if you are, uh, you know, concerned about your finances, definitely reach out for help because someone's always, uh, you know, available and, and, and ready to at least look at your situation and you can talk it through and figure things out and hopefully find yourself in a better situation financially tomorrow than you are today. So think about that. Coming up after the break, I'll be chatting with BC Hydro about electric vehicle fueling habits and what those look like here in BC and in Canada. That might be a little bit surprising, but we'll talk more about that after this. The voice of your community, Radio NL 610 AM News Talk at RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. 
Welcome back in here on this wet and gray Thursday in Kamloops. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. A new BC Hydro report finds the way BC and British Columbians fuel their gas-powered vehicles may be driving misconceptions about electric vehicle charging and preventing some for making the switch to an electric car. Here to talk about this issue is BC Hydro's Susie Reader. Susie, thanks so much for joining me here today. Yeah, no problem. How's it going? That's great. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, yeah, so this survey, uh, we found that about 70% of uh, non-EV owners are concerned about the availability of public charging stations across the province, and they say this is why they are hesitant to purchase an electric vehicle. And uh, we found that this is a, creating a bit of a misconception that people think that they actually have to charge at a public station more often than they do when most EV owners are charging at home or at work. Yeah, so when you say most uh, electric vehicle users are charging at home or at work, I guess, what, what is the percentage in terms of how, how far can you get, I guess, typically on an electric vehicle, do you know? And, and I guess that would obviously have an impact on where you're charging. Yeah, so uh, 60, 60% of EV owners say they charge mainly at home or at work. And uh, most car trips in the province are about 30 kilometers uh, round trip, most commutes. And so uh, electric vehicles are, are a great choice for this because a lot of them now have a range up to uh, two to 300 kilometers. So, um, and you can charge an EV at home overnight on a level two charger uh, fully in about uh, eight, eight hours. So, uh, it's actually something that most EV owners are doing, charging at home, just like they would charge a phone overnight. And when you're leaving a vehicle plugged in overnight like that, I guess some people might be concerned about just how much that is going to cost on your hydro bill when it does come around. I guess, uh, you know, what, what, what message do you have for people who might have concerns when it comes to the cost of hydro and what it means to, to charge up your vehicle if you're plugging it in for eight hours overnight? Uh, you know, it sounds substantial, but maybe the costs aren't as high as people might think. Yeah, exactly. So through this survey, about a quarter of these non-EV owners who are still driving gas-powered vehicles said that they're really concerned about what this is going to do to their electricity bill if they switch to an EV. That's understandable. It's a new thing, and sometimes new can be scary. Uh, but actually, if you charge a Nissan Leaf at home uh, every day, it'll only add about $20 a month to your electricity bill. And that's about an 80% savings over uh, gas-powered vehicle, uh, Honda Civic, for example, one of the most popular gas-powered vehicles on the road. It's $170 a month in fuel costs, and that's on average. So it's, uh, it's quite a significant savings in what you're spending on your electricity bill. Yeah, so obviously when you when you think about it that way, it sounds like the switch might be uh, good for my pocketbook, uh, you know, even if I am plugging it in every single day. So uh, like, what can you tell me about the misconceptions maybe around uh, the number of charging stations? I mean, is there a concern about people who might be tra tra uh, traveling those, like you had mentioned, an electric car can go two to 300 kilometers. Um, if I am going on a more extended trip, is there a concern or is it difficult to find somewhere to, to charge up maybe midway through that trip? No, it's actually becoming increasingly easier, and there are 1,700 public charging stations across the province. Uh, 60 of those are the BC Hydro Level 3 fast charging stations. Uh, so those are the ones that if you plug in, it takes half an hour to get your car to 80%. So there are, uh, there are a few across the province of the level three, but then there are 1,700 uh, in total public chargers as well. And most of BC Hydro's uh, fast charging stations are right off highways or right in city centers and really easy to, to access. So 
Um, it's also, you know, for us, they're a supplement as well for longer trips. Uh, we find that most EV owners do charge at home or at work, but for those that are going on a longer trip or maybe you live in a condo or apartment and you don't yet have access to an EV charger in your underground, uh, the curbside charging at the public chargers is a great option. So obviously, uh, you know, if you are thinking about making the switch, maybe you're a little bit hesitant. I mean, uh, there's probably more reason to make the switch than there are reasons not to at this point in time. When you're talking about cost savings and the ability to be able to charge a vehicle, um, you know, the, the, the infrastructure is getting more and more readily available. And of course, the government is asking us and, and wanting us to make the switch to electric vehicles. Uh, can you talk about some of the, the programs that are in place to sort of uh, help Canadians make that switch? Yeah, absolutely. So right now, we uh, BC Hydro is offering on top of the, the government rebate on home chargers, we're offering a top-up to that rebate. So for single-family homes, uh, the province is offering $350 off a level two home charger installation and charger costs, and we're offering $350 on top of that. And so it comes out to about $700 off the cost uh, and installation uh, of that charger. And we found uh, doing the math that in what you'd pay uh, for gas, you could pay off your charger costs in eight months. And that's just that one-time cost. You're not going to the gas pump every day or every week. You have a gas station in your home, essentially. And uh, the province of BC also offers rebates on electric vehicles up to uh, $3,000 for a fully electric vehicle. And then... Uh, 1500 for uh, the hybrid vehicles, which are a nice transition vehicle some people find because they're, they're afraid to go from gas yeah. to EV, even though they shouldn't be afraid, but <laughs> it's kind of sometimes nice to have that transition option where you can still fuel up if you need to. Yeah, and just uh, not a lot of time here, less than a minute, but I just want to know if you know the answer to this question because I brought it up sure. off the top here of my show. Um, if, if you run out of gas for whatever reason along the road, I mean, you can grab a jerry can and you can walk down to, to get some gasoline and, and put it in your vehicle. Yeah. What happens if that happens in an electric vehicle? Is there a way that you can, you know, remotely charge your vehicle or, or have like a charger pack that you can go find a, a station to, to get some juice from? Or how does that work? Do you know? Well, we actually talked to CAA about this uh, for a previous report that we did, and they will actually uh, come and uh, with a remote charger and charge your vehicle. That, that's what they told us. And, um, I, you know, I haven't tried it myself. <laughs> I haven't ca had to call them myself <laughs> uh, for that reason, but um, that, that is an option. All right. So I guess if you have an electric vehicle, it's probably a good idea to make sure you have a, a BCAA membership as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Susie, that wraps things up for me here today, but thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate your time. Yep. Thanks so much. Awesome. That bye. was that bye. Uh, that was BC Hydro's Susie Reeder talking about uh, driving habits when it comes to electric vehicles and charging misconceptions here in BC and Canada. Well, that wraps things up for me here today. I want to thank all my guests one more time for joining me. And of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed our time while it lasted. I'll be back here tomorrow at 9.